0: I used to say that you could tell a lot about a person by these two things and uh checkbook and a uh day planner or whatever you call it calendar schedule um, and that's a little bit of an outdated thing to say cuz uh we probably takes us a whole year or more to go through one checkbook it seems anymore <laughs> we don't write a lot of checks um and don't really use these very much either we 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 now it would be we can tell a lot about a person by a smartphone i guess or something but uh but the point is the same it's it's the principle remains you can tell a, a lot about a person by what um, you can tell a lot about what a person values um, which is a lot about a person uh by how they spend their time and uh how they spend money and um, that that is that is a good indicator of what is important to us. And um, and so as we're talking about money here, we started uh, just a little short three week series on on money just to get us thinking rightly, according to the scriptures on money. Howard took us through the Proverbs have to say I'm look we're looking at the in the Gospels, what Jesus has to say about money. Frank will finish this up next uh, next week, looking at what Paul has to say uh, about money. Um, but the, just two statements there in the introduction, and the first one I've alluded to, is how we view and use money says a lot about us. And um, that's, that'll be clear as we work through some text. And the second statement is this, is that Jesus is not silent about how we should handle money and possessions. That He is that we have, we have a lot to, to look at tonight, more than we really have time uh, to see I, I, I read this read this statement this week and I'm going to read it to you and then I'll I'll back up and comment on it but uh, th- this was uh, regarding some statistics so out of the 38 parables Jesus told 16 uh, that had to do with money and possessions one out of 10 verses in the Gospels deals directly with the subject of money. And the Bible offers about 500 verses about prayer, 500 about faith, and about 2,000 on money. I'm not sure I really believe those statistics. <laughs> I'm a little skeptical. Uh, and I mean, I've been looking at all that the Gospels have to say about money and what Christ has to say. But I, I think it is true that the Bible um, has a lot to say about money, in particular the Gospels as we're as we'll be looking at tonight. And so that's not to say that every time Jesus references money that he's really talking about money in these parables. It's not so much giving direct instructions about money, but he's using it as an, as an, as an illustration or as part of a parable. Uh, but there is much to say. And so my plan of attack, I was, I've been thinking about this tonight. I agreed to, I said, yeah, I'll do Jesus some money because I had worked through Matthew and there's a lot in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus references. So I thought, okay, I'm already kind of prepared coming off vacation. It'll be easy. Well, I was, I, I backed up and I said, I want to, I want to kind of see everything. And, 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 well, that's led me on a long, uh, journey. So I took, uh, I took Bible, notepad on vacation and, And I was doing other things, but I, but I also just started looking at and reading the passages that, that do, that where Jesus does deal with money and just beginning to make some observations and, and trying to organize the material. So there's some of the passage in which there's money reference. I really don't think, again, the, the main instruction is really not about money. Uh, Other times it's very explicitly about, uh, money, very specific instructions about about wealth. And then there's other times when it's maybe not as clear. It's kind of in the middle. There's general principles that would apply to money and then other things as well. And so, so the, the, um, don't forget my checkbook, please. (laughs) I might need that in a month. Uh, Uh, so, so just after looking at all of that and in this, in this week, I, I just began trying to organize data. What are we, how, how are we going to arrange this? And basically what I came up with is kind of a long list of statements and, and I grouped them in two, two categories. What is, what is Jesus for when it comes to money and possessions and wealth and what is Jesus against? And so. Uh, several statements, we're going to have to move very quickly, and I'll, on a few of them I'll barely make comment, and we're not going to be able to look at every one of these passages, so it will be something you can, if you want to do some more study, and, and look at these texts. And there are many other passages we could even pull in, but this is at least a, a good start, and 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 so that's what we're going to do tonight. So, first thing, we're, look, what is Jesus for when it comes to money? And the first thing I would say is, Jesus is for using our resources to support his established institutions now this is where we get into some of the dispensational differences uh, what i mean is just in different different times in god's unfolding of his redemptive plan that there, there are differences between proverbs and 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 the, the jesus day and as we'll see in in paul's he's writing to the established church so there's a difference between the temple and the church there's a difference between those uh, tithes of the Old Testament and, and that were in, in place in, in, in Jesus' day with the temple and what we think of as offerings and giving uh, to the church in support of uh, gospel ministry. And so there, there are general in, in principles in the gospels that will become clear instructions to the church by the time you get to uh, Paul's letters. And so, just be mindful of that, as this is true for all of these statements, but it's particularly with this first point. So you get in, in Matthew 23 verse 23, and, and um, this is, Jesus does a little verbal smackdown on the scribes and Pharisees here in Matthew 23, and he's, these woes to the, to the Pharisees and to the religious elite in Israel, uh, those like Nicodemus that we looked at this morning that, that really, um, didn't, had the, Had the the experts in the law, they should have known better. But there was no, their hearts were not in obedience to the law. So he 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 gets after them because they obey the law in those smallest little minute details and in the tradition of the elders. But they neglect the weightier matters of the law. Jesus says, like justice and mercy and faithfulness. But then, but so so they. They 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 pay very close attention to those small tithing regulations, but they again neglect the big the big matters of the law. But Jesus comes back and says, "These you ought to have done without neglecting the others." So he's saying, uh, so, so so it's not that Jesus says stop tithing in the temple and start doing justice and mercy and faithfulness. That's not what he says. He he affirms the goodness of tithing. He's, you ought to have done that. Um, uh, but but emphasizes a far greater importance of justice, mercy, faithfulness. So so Jesus isn't anti-religion. He's not anti-religious establishment, and that's a kind of a common sentiment you hear today. I think particularly among younger evangelicals, even this is kind of this uh, this this a, a lot of talk about organized religion, and and I understand what they mean, and I probably agree with what they're trying to communicate. But, I, but I, I think there is, you can be, you got to be a little bit careful there uh, because G, God has given a lot of instructions in his word to org, about organized religion. I mean, you have all of the Old Testament, all these laws, all the instructions to God's people. It's very organized. And, and you get into the church, there's all kinds of instructions to the church. And so I just say that giving is Jesus affirmed the goodness of giving. To God's ordained institutions and that's kind of the principle I want us to see uh, we see just elsewhere Mark chapter 12 41 to 44 this is the poor widow who throws in her two small copper coins as the rich folks are just dumping their money bags into the offering trying to make a commotion and, and, and highlight how much they're giving and Jesus doesn't say to her though what, what are you thinking that's a, that's a that's an awful way to use money. That's a that's a dumb idea to give to the temple. No, he he. Jesus tells the disciples that the woman has done a good thing, a great thing, and and so again, I'm not. I don't want to draw a straight line comparison between the ties and offerings of the Old Testament or Jesus Day to these little wooden boxes at the door. That's not my point. I, I just I think the principle is that giving to the Lord's ordained institutions carries over. And again, we'll see. Uh, Frank will help us understand what giving looks like in the church, I'm sure, next week. So, that's the first thing Jesus is for. Second thing Jesus is for is paying our taxes. Yes, paying our taxes. I don't think there's anybody here who is of the conviction that, uh, that, that they should not pay taxes to the government. I know that, 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 uh, um, that view is around and you can find those, uh, I'm sure you could do a little Google search and find plenty of people that would espouse that position. But I, I think you would have to go somewhere other than the Gospels to make that case. Um, Jesus, uh, a couple of places, Matthew 17, 24 and following there. This is temple tax collectors. So this is the temple tax. They come to Peter and they, they say to him, does your teacher not pay the tax? And Peter just answered briefly, yes. And so Peter goes back to the house where Jesus is staying, and he walks in the door. And before uh, Peter can say anything, Jesus, Jesus spoke to him first, the text says. He's ex- that's explicit. Again, Jesus knows what's in a man. Uh, and he says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you'll find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. The half shekel temple tax. Pay it for both of us. So what he's saying is, as ridiculous as it is for the king of kings and the lord of lords <laughs> to pay a tax to the temple that's been built for his own worship. Uh, he, he still goes along with it. His conscience didn't bother him and he, he kept, it didn't keep him from paying that tax. So I just say, our oh Lord, um, of all people. And in Matthew 22, you, you know the passage. I'm, I'm not going to read it and it's full, but this is where, uh, you know, he, uh, the, the Pharisees challenge Jesus about paying taxes and he says, well, show me the coin whose image is on it. And he says, render to Caesar, to Caesar, and to God. What is God's and so um, so again, I think Jesus affirms the uh, the rightness of paying taxes. Another thing that Jesus is for when it comes to money is using our resources to help the poor and needy, and you can 't get around this one in the gospels I mean it 's all over the place and all over scripture, really. Uh, one of the most famous uh, passages in the in the New Testament, in terms of stories, is that story of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So, scene as the man lying on the side of the road in the ditch, and he's all bloody and got beat up by a, a little band of robbers, and half dead. And so, the priest comes by, and he sees the man on the side of the road, and, and so he kind of crosses the road, walks around him, and keeps on going. A Levite does the same thing. And then, a Samaritan, and that's when you hear the villain music, uh, this hated half-Jew, um, Samaritans and Jews did not get along, but this Samaritan saw this man lying on the side of the road, had compassion on him, the text says, and bandaged him up and poured wine and oil on his wounds and placed the dying man on his animal, took him to an inn and told the innkeeper, said, whatever, whatever cost, I'll be back, I'll pay for it, covered those expenses, and Jesus then saying, go and do likewise, and um so i just i think the the principle that we see over and over in the gospels and again really over and over throughout scripture is that we shouldn't be numb or callous towards needs that are in front of us that god brings into our lives but he brings people into our lives and 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 so i i know i know there we a lot of us we struggle we we're suspicious and we're faced with needs. Well, how did they get in that position? How'd the guy get in the position to begin with? And that's not the point of the story. the The, the point of the story is not to evaluate the worthiness of the need. Um, the point is 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 don't walk by folks that that are in need and, and help. And and Jesus wants us to help them. And so it's not do everything to make sure the need is legitimate. It's 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 not emphasizing, again, the worthiness of the man. It's it's just it's a call and reminder to, to, to show mercy, to have compassion and to help. Um, now, again, there are other principles at work in helping. Uh, but I think that's that's don't we don't want to blunt the edge of what Jesus is saying here so much so that we just kind of pass that by and excuse ourselves, just like the priest and the Levite. And so we should stand ready to give sacrificially of our of our not just our money but our resources, time, energy to help uh, others in legitimate needs. So, all right, next thing Jesus is for is using our resources to support uh, mission and ministry. Um, a few just quick references here in Luke chapter eight and one to three, the Jesus is going through cities and villages proclaiming the gospel, and he's and and. And and there are some folks, particularly women, text says that provided for them for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. And so, um, this is really the writer of Doctor Luke is kind of drawing attention to this. But uh, I just think it's uh, it's a good example. If you're these women out of their out of their own means, they're providing for the needs of of Jesus and his disciples as they're going out. Uh, Luke chapter 10 verses 1 to 9, this is Jesus sends out the 12 along with 72 others to go and to preach from city to city and, and there, there, there weren't to carry money bags, Jesus says. They weren't to have, to have, to, to, to have extra sandals for the trip. They, they were to trust God to provide for their needs through the generosity of others. That was the point of all of that. And, and so this, they would be welcomed into homes, they would be given food to eat, and, uh, water and wine to drink, and this would be God's means of providing for his servants. And, and then that's the passages where Jesus says the laborer laborer is worthy of his wages. And so, uh, again, I just think it's a, it's a picture of, of one of the ways in which money should be used to support support the work of the gospel, gospel proclaimers, and, and, uh, so that's certainly a valid and a good use of resources. Um, and next, uh, Jesus is for using money and material possessions to meet essential family needs. It, uh, this is, again, we see this throughout scripture, where scripture affirms the responsibility of parents to provide for their children, and I would say other I mean, for us to provide for our family's needs, um, for Christians not to provide for, uh, for parents not to provide for their children or for other, uh, needy relatives, uh, Paul will say in 1st Timothy 5, 8 is to deny the faith and you're worse than an unbeliever. And so that's a pretty strong statement. I won't go there, uh, tonight. But, uh, likewise, it's the responsibility of grown children, uh, not the state, we could say, to care for, um, for relatives for parents and other relatives um, in their old age or an illness and so Jesus says Mark chapter 7 verse 9 to 13 uh, if you want to turn there and so I, I would encourage you to kind of flip around if you're able to keep up and I know we're moving to a lot of passages but Mark 7 9 to 13 Jesus said to them you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition that's a stinging comment there For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you have would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And so what they were doing is they had this kind of spiritualized version of, of getting themselves off the hook when it come to ca- came to caring for their older parents, and they said, "Well, this is this is money given to God, so I can to you." And Jesus calls them on it and say, "You've you've you're 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 um, making void the word of God by that tradition, and you, it's a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God. It is spiritualized. So you, so Jesus is rejecting their spiritual attempts to." To, to excuse their failure to provide materially for their family. That's what I think the point is. So, when our loved ones need help, we should help them. We have, it's a good way to use the resources God gives us. The greatest example of this is Jesus himself on the cross. There he is dying for the sins of the world. And what is he doing? He looks and cares for the needs of his own mother, Mary, and just makes sure she's cared for that the disciples will meet her needs after he's gone. And so, so that's a, a good use. And the final, uh, this is the final one. I think Jesus is for, uh, no, we got two more. Jesus is for being faithful with whatever God entrusts to our care. Uh, again, there's, there's a, there's a few passages we could look at. I, I, I mentioned the parable of the talents, and this is, uh, man entrusts to his servants, um, uh, his resources, and so a talent was, uh, as much as $300,000 by our, you know, by our monetary standard and today's money. So he, he gives one servant five talents, another servant two talents, another servant one talent. So the five talent servant, he trades and makes five more and the two, the guy who's given two talents makes two more, trades, makes two more. The guy who's given one talent, remember, buries it in the ground and, and doesn't want to lose it and hides it there until the master returns. And so master comes back, the five and the two talent, guys who doubled their, uh, doubled the investment. Uh, the master praises him, says, well done, good and faithful servants. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And then to the one talent servant who hid his in the ground, he, he says, you wicked and slothful servant. You ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own and with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Now, Again, I think it's one of those, this one of those parables where it's about money, but it isn't just about money. I mean, this isn't about investing money per se. He's not, he's not giving an investment seminar at the airport Hyatt here and how to, how to make millions in, for retirement. That's not his point. We're not told what the talents really represent. Um, is it money? Is it spiritual gifts? Is it natural abilities? Is it the gospel? The parable really doesn't restrict us in that sense. And I think the the point is is that preparing for the Lord's return involves being faithful with what the Lord has given us um, until that until that time, and so until He comes back. And so while it's not just about money, money is certainly a big part of being faithful with what the Lord has entrusted to us, and and being a good steward. And so so I think there is there's great application for us as we think about money. Faithful with what the Lord has entrusted to us, Matthew six nineteen and following. There, Jesus urges um, urges, urges us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, uh, as opposed to treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. And so he says, "Be careful to lay up for you. lay up for yourselves those things that will last, those things that will endure, things that are eternal: the gospel, its word, its people, souls, uh, its God's worship." Prayer; these are these are eternal; uh, these are things that will store up for ourselves treasures that will that will last and last and last. It's part of being faithful in our stewardship. Uh, finally, Jesus is for fighting greed with generosity, and um, I put down Mark ten there. This is a rich young ruler, and Jesus looks at this rich young ruler, says, "What must I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus says, Go and "Sell everything you have." And Jesus looks at him and loved him and said oh, here I'm about to read it, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. And Jesus is exposing the the greed in his heart, He's snuffing it out and of this this man and the antidote is give it away, give it away. And and so Jesus isn't against we're talking about all these things that Jesus is for and, and we'll see what he's against. He, what he thinks we, he's not. Jesus isn't against money. He's for the use of money, and and uh, he's not against necessarily having money or enjoying things that money can buy. I mean, again, we're looking at a small part of all that the Bible has to say about money, but there there's a difference between having money and possessions and wealth and treasuring it. And I think that's what Jesus really goes after in his, and, and, and we'll see some of the things He's against here in a moment. Uh, but there are some ways, there are some ways of thinking about money and using money that Jesus is definitely against. And let's look at those now. So another little list of things that Jesus is against and, um, and then we'll be finished. Jesus is against first foolishly pursuing wealth. Uh, making that our aim making that our ambition to 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 accumulate treasure for ourselves mark 836 familiar uh, passage it's quoted in luke uh, jesus it's it's also reference in luke 925 what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul forfeit his soul um, rhetorical question the soul is the that's the real person that's who you really are that eternal Soul will never die. Every soul, every person will live forever, whether in heaven or in hell. And, and so to have all that the world has to offer and yet not have Christ, he says to be eternally bankrupt, that's an awful, that's an awful trade. It's so all the world's wealth, all of the possessions, anything money can buy, all the stuff that the world says you gotta have, you gotta have, you gotta have says that 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 will never ever compensate for losing one's soul for eternity, and um, so that's a that's a foolish pursuit, and Jesus is strongly against it. The, Luke twelve, there's the parable of the rich, uh, the rich fool. He's building bigger and bigger barns to store up, and his the abundance of crops that that he's allowed. And then in verse 19. And I will say to my soul. Soul you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him. Fool. This night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. I don't think the point is not. Just kind of wise stewardship. And laying things aside for the future. But. What, what we, the, what, he, what he's saying is, instead of caring for the needs of others, he's rebuked for laying up treasure for himself, not being rich toward God, that ironically it's the man who takes care to, 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 to prepare for his own needs that, that Jesus says he's a fool. He's a fool. This isn't, again, a prohibition of Of wealth or of investing it's a warning against this temptation that this man he was he became complacent he became selfish he became self-sufficient and that's what Jesus is is pointing to in this story of this foolish man second thing Jesus is against is being distracted by wealth from the true and the greatest priorities Mark four nineteen, it's the parable of the soils, and we're not again. We're just kind of having to uh, pick these out, Um, but in the in the context of that, he says the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word out, and it proves unfruitful. And I just want to what I just want to highlight is here that the deceitfulness of riches, that riches are deceptive. Um. They they distract us. They deceive us. They they promise things that they cannot provide, um, and that that money and possessions they promise um, they promise to satisfy the desires and longings of our hearts. But they they promise happiness, but but without a life that's oriented to God, they never come through on those things. They cause, in fact, they can cause the soul to wither. And um, so just the deceitfulness of riches. Eh? I mean, particularly this time of year when we're just bombarded by advertising uh, in all forms and telling us what we need to be happy. Uh, just remember this. Just remember that phrase. deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things that can choke, choke us out and uh, wither our souls. Matthew six twenty four, um, again, just seeing this this way in which wealth can distract us from what's truly important, and Jesus says, no one can serve two masters, for he either he will hate the one and love the other, or he he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, you cannot serve God and money. Um, that word serve, it's that it's, it's the language of 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 slavery. It's not an employer-employee kind of service. It's not just doing, doing some kind of volunteer work and service, community service. That's not the idea. It's, it's the language of slavery. You can work for two employers. Some of you work two jobs. And so that is, that is possible. But you cannot serve two masters. The slave is the sole possession of, uh, and property of, of one master so he must give his master exclusive um, uh, service. And so you're either a slave of God, Jesus says, or you're a slave of money. And so as we, as we are, oh, succumb to the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things, we become servants and slaves of, of money. And that takes us away and it, it, it moves us away from being a slave servant of God. Next thing that Jesus is against is letting worry grow from the soil of wealth. Um, don't uh, don't be anxious. Jesus will say about your life, what you will eat, what you drink. Matthew six twenty five and following. There, not about nor about the body, what you will put on. So these there's a this is, there's an undeniable connection, and we could all say this from our own experience between worry and money, isn't there? Worry and possessions. I mean. I'm not going to worry about my the boat that I don't have but uh, I'm not going to worry about my antique car collection that I don't have uh so so the the more we have, the more temptation and potential there is for worry i' again, I'm not opposed to boats or antique car collections but i'm just saying, there's, there's gonna, there's oftentimes a connection. The greater the wealth, the greater the amount of possessions, the greater temptation there is going to be for worry. And so that's one sense. And then another. I mean, when we don't have, when we have lack, there's, the, there's, we're gonna, there's temptation to worry about. Will I have this thing? Will I have food? Will I have? Uh, so I'm just saying, there's a, there's a, there's a relationship there. and, And, and this, Jesus says, don't be anxious. This is, the Greek word there is, 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 it's kind of like it's being double minded. It's, uh, that's the meaning of that word. To to have your mind drawn in two different directions. So, so this worry about money and worry about things is, 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 is sending our mind in a different way from trusting in God. I think that's the idea. And so you, in that context, in Matthew 6, you have these, you have two treasures, treasure in heaven, treasure on earth. You have uh God versus money, two different masters, and so here we're we're seeing don't be anxious, don't be not be drawn in two different directions. And 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 because what worry shows is is misplaced value. Um if you put your heart in the things of the world you're going to worry about things but if you if you set your heart on eternal things you're you're not going to be worried about things because those things are secure with God God holds on to those things and they're untouchable and so that's kind of the context of Matthew 6 but we get into verse 25 therefore i tell you do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or nor about the body what you will put on why not he gives some reasons. Is not your is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? There's there's more to life than stuff. And look at the birds of the air; they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And you know, the point of that is not to give us license to be lazy. Um, I mean. Birds are very active, <laughs> little creatures. For those that watch birds, they're always fluttering around and looking and searching for food. And they're very active, but it's God who feeds them. They don't just stand out on a branch and go, and just wait for food to fall in their mouths. No, they're, they're gathering and they're storing. But, but what they don't do is they don't hoard it. They don't think, ah, you know. There's plenty of worms and plenty of food today, but you know, probably tomorrow it's not coming, so I better, I better make myself a little pile and keep it up, so, uh, cause I'm not sure, no, they're, 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 they're active and they're, they're getting food, but, but they, they, they know that it's gonna, they trust that God will provide it the next day. I mean, birds don't have souls, they're not made in the image of God. I'm saying, Jesus is using it, in the, in it as an example of trust. It just, there's active trust in God that He's gonna meet their needs and, and, and so if that's true for birds, if God provides for their needs, how much more should we who are made in the image of God, uh, pr- trust that God is going to provide for our needs tomorrow? And, and so don't, don't be anxious. And he goes on, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to the span of his life? So, Worry is completely impotent. It does it does nothing. I, uh, it doesn't do anything to lengthen our lives. It doesn't do anything to better our lives. So worrying about the stock market and whether it's going to crash tomorrow isn't going to make a a, a lick of difference on whether it will actually crash or not. It's a, so it doesn't do anything. It, it it it's that's that's not worry is is powerless than that to that end and goes on, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So God isn't, isn't stingy even. He gives extravagantly um, to us. Provides He delights in providing for us in great ways. In the end, therefore, do not be anxious. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Gentiles, unbelievers, they're, they don't. They're, and this is what he's saying: is worry is rooted in unbelief. You're not believing God. You're not trusting God. It's it's about trying to control rather than trust um, God. But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore don't be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And again. So worry and money. Money is one of those things that. Many of us we worry about most. Um, and, and having more of it won't change that. Um, and so the problem isn't about a lack of money. Or a surplus of money. The problem what jesus points to it's our hearts comes back to that are we believing and trusting the lord Um, but i I just say one of the things jesus against is letting letting worry letting anxiety just grow out of the soil of of our possessions of our money and so we got to be careful Uh, next thing jesus is against is thinking that money can save us thinking that money can save us Uh, luke chapter 18 verse 24 jesus saying that uh, um, this rich man is seeing that he becomes sad he said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God now this is hyperbole it's impossible for those who are rich or anyone for that matter as we'll see to enter God's kingdom on the basis of the riches on the basis of the righteousness Nicodemus is a perfect example of that but Jesus' hearers they, they thought riches were a sign of God's favor, and then we have our own version of this. So they're wondering if a rich man can't be saved by making sacrifices and offerings and these great, uh, offerings in the temple, uh, to the Lord, who can be? In verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. And salvation is a work of the Lord. It's, it's, he does the impossible. Money can't do it. We shouldn't look to it to do what God alone can do. And yet, money is is the preferred savior of of many, if not most people in our day. This is what they're looking to for their security. What they're looking to for their happiness. What they're looking to for their deliverance from whatever problem they're in. If only I had more money. If only I had this, then I would be happy. If only. Um, and so, that's a... That's a it's a feudal way of thinking, and so Jesus warns us against this. Next, Jesus is against depending ultimately on money or possess, or possessions instead of God to meet our needs. Um, just, the, the Lord's Prayer is an example of this. Um, Matthew six nine to thirteen, and the, the, the phrase in there: "Give us this day our daily bread." You're looking to God to provide for daily needs, through those most basic daily needs um um, ultimately we don't meet our needs god does and that's that's what i mean i mean in the ultimate sense it doesn't mean we don't work and we don't labor for food and to provide for our family but even that god has provided our job god has provided us the fitness to work god has provided the mental abilities to, to do those things god has given us air and breath and our lungs and Blood pumping through our bodies, everything that we have is from God. And so, so when we are when we when we are in need, what do we, where do we turn? Who do we turn to? Are we looking to things? Are we looking to our ability to generate income? Are we looking through, for to ourselves ultimately to provide? Or do we look to God? And say, Lord, you, we, I need you. Give give us give us what we need. You know you know our needs. You know our need for daily bread. You know, our need just meet us, Lord, and help us. Um, Jesus is against hoarding our resources for ourselves. Um, and this is the last one, I believe, right? Matthew 25, um, 34 to 40, the, 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 I'm just going to summarize the Christ-like disciple there. This is the, you know, um, I was hungry and you, you fed me. I was in prison. You visited me. I was, uh, thirsty and you gave me water that's that pastor but the christ-like disciple just the christ-like disciple stands ready to feed the hungry give water to the thirsty welcome the stranger uh clothe the naked visit the sick and the imprisoned and so um ready to give of himself to to help others not hoarding those things matthew uh, luke chapter 6 uh, verse 30 to 38 uh, it says give to everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods do not demand them back so he's he's urging his followers to be generous to a fault Uh, i mean this is a far higher standard than than um than the world's i mean christ's standard for for generosity and giving to others he goes on and as you wish that others would do to you do so to them if you love those who love you what benefit is that to you for even sinners love those who love them and if you do Good to those who do good to you. What benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So reciprocity—maybe that's our standard—but Jesus says that's not enough. That's that's not going to cut it. Um, and if you lend to those from whom you from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the un. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. So our standard is not kind of the, the ebb and flow of the culture. And how it thinks about um, showing mercy and showing compassion and being generous. Our standard is the mercy of God. And that's lofty. And again, what enables us to, to show lavish mercy and to... And to uh, risk and to move forward with that kind of generosity is that is is, our, is that long view of eternity? Is that we're, this stuff's all going away? We're we're stewards of what God has given us, and we're going to um, seek to be merciful as He is with what He's entrusted to us. Finally, last pass. I'm just going to read these verses, and I've got some questions that I want to ask. Luke chapter twelve, verse fifteen to twenty-one, and uh, it's a good good place to end. Jesus said to them. Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, all greed, covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's a great summary statement. And this one that we need to remind ourselves so often. Is, that is not what life is about. Um, and he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. So just in conclusion here, I just want to kind of ask a few diagnostic questions to kind of help us see ourselves. Help, help us in light of of all of these verses. I know it was a, kind of a fire hose night just spraying you with uh, different passages and and several points and principles out of that. But how do you know where your heart is when it comes to money and possession? How How do you know... If you've let your guard down when it comes to uh, let your guard down on all covetousness. Is that true of, of you? Um, he says, be on guard against all covetous, covetousness. Maybe I've let my guard down there. Um, when, 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 is it possible that I'm beginning to think that life consists of possessions um, and the abundance of possessions? How do I know if I'm more focused on laying up treasure for myself than I am laying up treasure in heaven? So, being rich toward God, as he says in this passage. So, so just a few questions here, um, and just to get you thinking, because maybe, again, we're we're so maybe desensitized by this these words of Christ, and, we're, and we become kind of numb. Because uh, I think I think we we drink the um the culture on this and it's just we're just constantly bombarded and 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 i think we just need to 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 make sure that we're really examining our hearts and making sure our lives are more in line with christ here than they are and just kind of the way everybody is living around us so just a couple few questions first question is this what what occupies your thoughts what what do you think about often are you what 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 do you what's the stuff of your daydreams here are you thinking about um, money, uh, your lack of it, desire for more, um, investments, uh, shopping, uh, things you want, things you dream of having, vacations, um, um, home improvements? Is that the stuff that just consumes your thoughts? Again, I don't mean that if you give any thought to a, a purchase or something like that that, that, that this is completely occupying your mind and you should just kind of, Go blind into those things, but I'm just saying: Is it consuming of you? Are you is it, or does it take up too much real estate in the kind of the thought uh, landscape of your mind? Uh, what do you worry most about? Do um, you find yourself often? We've talked about this already, but often worrying about uh, money again, lack of it, or losing things that you have, or um, investments, those kinds of things. What do you fear most losing? Uh, what do you most fear losing? Um, uh, what is it that you couldn't be happy with? Um, if I lost this, I would life would be over. Is it is it a thing? Is it a possession? Is it retirement savings? Is it money? Is it what is what is what would it be? Um, uh, or uh, well, I would keep going. How impressed are you by wealth? Is that you get around wealthy people or people have stuff and does it do you change? Uh does it make you uneasy and you feel like you gotta oh, you're a little, you little are you are you overly impressed with with wealth and wealthy people and possessions and um, what is it that impresses you? Um, another question do you measure others by what they have or don't have is that one of the quickest standards you have is you when you meet somebody when you when you're kind of scanning the room and thinking about people i don't mean literally but it's almost uh, unconscious but you have this this criteria so you're thinking about what they have how they're dressed what the kind of car they drive what do they not have is that a standard by which you're uh, quickly measuring others how much is your happiness tied to money and possessions? Um, again, we kind of ask this in a different way. If, what, what, um, what could you not be happy without? But how much, what is it that, that causes the greatest joy and happiness for your, for you? Is it when you get stuff, when, um, the, the return on your investment is greater? Is that what causes the most happiness? How much time do you spend talking about money? or possessions, or stuff, or spending, or saving, having it, not having it. Is that, is that a lot of your conversation is spent on, on money and possessions, wealth? How much of your time is spent buying, selling, or maintaining your stuff? Um, what would other people say is very important to you? If, if, if other people around you, if they, those that know you and those that spend time with you, what would they say? Man, that is really important to him. Would it be, would it be some possessions? Would it be, what do you, and this would be again by things you talk about all the time. It's probably how they would, why they would see that. What you spend your time doing. Right here, remember? Yeah, what we spend our time on, what we spend our money on. That would be what they would think is important to us. And then finally, are there, are there thoughts and worries about possessions and about money that have just snuffed out the joy in your life? Um, it's, it, it's a, it can be a, when we really become consumed with this, it can be, um, it can just kind of cause our, cause us to kind of shrivel. It's not a happy life. It's not a, there's not, there's not that vibrancy and joy. Um, that the lord intends for us that abundance of life that jesus came to provide for us so some questions just again we're just it's just another little small uh, contribution into what uh, again what there is to know about money and possessions uh, frank will be back next week and we'll add to it uh, another layer of that and again the intention is not to this is not uh, to layer on you some kind of guilt, and uh, so you're just going to be in panic mode when you, you know, buy a Christmas present or something this week. Or that's not my point. I just want us to, again, to think that God's priorities, with our priorities, would be more and more in line with the Lord's priorities. That we would be mindful not just of the external appearances and the behavior of think of related to money and possessions those things i'm not saying those things are unrelated to our hearts but the most where the biggest change needs to be is right here inside of us and are is there a a confidence in god is there a treasuring of of god in our hearts and does that show up in how we uh, think about and and use money all right let me pray for us and Father, thank you for um, thank you for the words of our Savior. Not just on uh, on money, but uh, but we're thankful that he, he does give us instructions. We're thankful that we get to uh, get the benefit of, of the wisdom of God through the the words of our Savior, who who not just said these things, but modeled what a life is that is lived, treasuring God and not things, and so. Um, May we um, uh, more and more reflect our, our, our Savior in this area of our lives. Um, I pray that there would be growth even through this, the next weeks and months and through this season, which the materialism of our culture is just right in our face. and It's so easy to be swept up into that. Um, may we just be on guard against all covetousness. Remember that life does not consist in the abundance of things. God, help us to remember that in the coming weeks to be grateful and and to enjoy the giving of gifts and the and the buying of gifts, the giving of gifts, the receiving of gifts. But again, remembering that it's not about stuff. And so, uh, God, just just give us help and the grace that we need to to um, to live in in this in this time in this day and age with. Uh, Uh, hearts that treasure you and not money we ask in jesus name amen